Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by my co-host Emilio Diaz, as well as Jordan Cronk. We're going to talk uh, about this year's current section from the New York Film Festival, as well as the work Jordan does at Acropolis Cinema. There was a point at which we thought there might be a little introduction segment of this episode uh but we talked a lot so we're gonna hold the stuff that might have gone in there for next week which means that there'll be a little more on currents for next week as well as a tremendous backlog of news the the news segment has been mia for almost uh, over a month uh, closer to two months at this point uh there's enough news that it could fill a grab bag, but that's not what's going to happen. Uh, but for now, I will take you to our interview. All right. Uh, and we're now joined by uh, critic and curator uh, Jordan Kronk. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I know you were just at uh, Vienna for their film festival, so we're going to talk about uh, mostly stuff that uh, played at Currents that was also there. Uh, but uh, like in general, I, it was your first time at Vienna, right? Yes, it was my first time at the Viennale. And um, I'm temporarily in uh, Zurich, so I've been kind of traveling to some international festivals I normally don't go to. So it was exciting to go for the first time. It's like the festival I wanted to go to for a long time just because the curation so good and a lot of friends go mm-hmm. and uh, it just has a really great reputation amongst festivals and there's no reason for me normally to go because mm-hmm. it's kind of a uh, a best of type festival they don't mm-hmm. they don't really premiere a lot of new films so as yeah, much as I w- right. as much as I would have liked yeah. to go in the past there's no real huge reason for me to go so this year I went and I did mm-hmm. I did watch a handful of new films I had missed but I mostly watched uh retrospective titles and some of the shorts uh, programs uh-huh. so yeah it was great highly recommended mm-hmm. yeah no i i was just like looking at the uh looking at the lineup and it is uh, a curation that is very in line with like what new york does yeah yeah uh, but, like, specifically things that New York will get that, like, most other festivals don't. Like, I, it's, it looks like they're one of, like, four festivals at all that are getting the Kelly Reichert movie this year for whatever reason. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know why that is exactly. But, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Vienna's like I, a... My... Oh, go ahead. I was saying my suspicion is that A24 uh, told Sundance that they would mostly hold it out like they did with After Yang last year, After Can. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah. I guess we will find out. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we were going to start out with uh, a couple of movies that uh, 
were in the current section were also at Vienna that uh one which premiered in uh currents which is uh slaughterhouses of modernity uh the new film from heinz emicholtz who had a couple of features in currents two years ago and i know that this movie also had a companion piece that uh was programmed with it at vienna i think yeah, two two uh, companion pieces. So he premiered, uh, well, not premiered, but he screened three films in Vienna. Uh, two two mm-hmm. were world premieres. Okay, um, they're all mm-hmm. <clears throat> Slaughterhouse of Modernity is kind of like the centerpiece film, which is probably one of the reasons mm-hmm. that New York took it. But the other two films deal mm-hmm. deal with two of the architects that are uh, kind uh-huh. of featured in in slaughterhouses so he made like two spin-off films just about those films or just about those architects which uh work well if you get to see them all together like like i did but um yeah mm-hmm. slaughterhouses definitely works fine on its own you don't need the other films they're just kind of like extra right. extra context yeah uh, and so like uh what slaughterhouses of modernity is it is it's another one of his uh architecture films but uh, from what I've heard, it is more kind of wide-reaching than uh, his films tend to be, just in terms of like the types of sources that he's including. Uh, not being super familiar with on my own, so like they, uh, there's the there's a interlude in the middle where an actor describes the plot of a Borges short story, but then there is just like a lot of very heavy theory and then like much more sort of leisurely sections that are just looking at the architecture uh which i i was a kind of i found it to be a sort of alternately frustrating and exciting experience to sort of have all that stuff going on because like they are all like things that are I find interesting to put in a movie, but just, like, sort of the shift in the type of attention that the movie was asking for is was just, like, tough for me to do sometimes of, like, shifting to, like, kind of processing the sort of heavy theory stuff, which also is, like, the movie is some in uh, English and some in German, so sometimes listening to it and sometimes reading it in subtitles uh, was just, uh, you know... Uh, I I would be happy to just, like, see it again, because there is just stuff where I feel like I did not make that shift in attention quickly enough to process it, but it's, like, all cool stuff that is in there. Yeah, it's a super dense movie. Um, One of his more more dense films, I think. Um, But yeah, I guess there's some background. Heinz is, like, a... known as an architecture Mm -hmm. filmmaker, meaning he makes movies about architecture and architects Mm -hmm. usually these are observational type documentaries um which he made over a period of like 20 years beginning in like the early to mid 90s uh before that though he did make a number of narrative films um before pivoting Mm -hmm. just like the strictly observational style which he became very well known for and then i don't know five years ago or so maybe a little bit more he made a movie that incorporated performers and dialogue so it was a, a bit of a shift and then um has si- since then been building on that in interesting ways his last film uh the mm-hmm. last city was like sort of as far as he goes like a, a narrative film 
uh, with actors in you know normal kind of mm-hmm. locations and scenes and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's been very interesting to watch his like development. But he um, or this film kind of utilizes all these modes in an interesting way. In a, it is has very lo- mm-hmm. it has long stretches of observational footage or you know shots of uh these architects in uh let's see it's in argentina bolivia and in berlin so he's shifting between these multiple locations Mm -hmm. and then but he does incorporate like you mentioned there's a performer at one or two moments and uh where they are reading Mm -hmm. text or speaking uh to the audience or you know just uh, reciting passages of dialogue um but yeah it it kind of draws connections between Two architects, uh, Francisco Salamane in Argentina, who kind of made his most, I don't know, recognizable buildings are slaughterhouses in actual slaughterhouses and then also um, a cemetery. So in, in the kind of spinoff film, you see a lot of these things, but it's also in slaughterhouses. And um, and then the other architect is... Uh, Freddie Mamani Silvestre, and he's a Bolivian architect who's like a modern contemporary architect. And he makes these really wild, like, uh, I don't know, very colorful kind of abstract looking buildings in like urban Bolivia. So the buildings that surround these are like kind of mm-hmm. old, dilapidated in some cases buildings. And then between these like normal <laughs> urban locations, there's these bright colored, like ridiculous looking buildings that are very like flamboyant and almost like carnival-esque looking with like oddly shaped windows and it's very it's very odd to see these buildings kind of like just in the middle of uh, a kind of older urban setting uh so he uses these two uh architects and also juxtaposes these with uh kind of a modern day berlin and some of the buildings uh and things he doesn't like about about german architecture and and it deals with the history it deals with the war and how these spaces are linked with, uh, you know, well, definitely with Nazism, but also just various uh, mm-hmm. movements and problematic uh, things in German history. So, yeah, he, it's very, uh, like I said, it's a very dense film, but he, he makes these linkages in very fascinating ways. There's an extended sequence in the Buenos Aires section, the Argentina section. It's shot in... Uh, I guess it's called Epiquen. It's a village in Buenos Aires that was a normal kind of, I guess, like a spa village. And then in 1985 was flooded. A dam broke and it's been just flooded ever since. The city was never rebuilt. And this has a long passage in this film with one of the performers kind of standing and sitting amongst the water in the half-submerged buildings and speaking. And it's a very striking looking location which i guess has been in some other films some, sometimes used as locations in movies but um it's a super interesting uh kind of centerpiece scene in this movie which uh mm-hmm. which i don't know it's just uh he, he's has a he's been taking an interest in uh argentina for the last few years because i think because his collaborator mm-hmm. jonathan perel who's also a filmmaker has performed in a number of his films he's not in this one but uh, he was in the last city and a couple mm-hmm. a couple of recent ones, and he's Argentine. So I think he's been mm-hmm. traveling down to Argentina these last half you know half decade or decade, and I think becoming inspired by a lot of these architects and has 
really influenced mm-hmm. the look and style of the films too as mm-hmm. they've developed. So yeah, he's like he's one of my favorite uh, kind of veteran quote unquote experimental filmmakers, although he transcends these borders a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it is because it's in Argentina and there's the Borges stuff. I think the way in which he like is very academic and sometimes dry, but can also be very funny, made me think of the the recent El Vampiro Cine films, uh, Mariana Yenis and uh, Laura Citerea. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, yeah, yeah, you were cutting out there and, for a second, but yeah, yeah. that definitely has similarities sure. to that, but um, yeah, he, his mm-hmm. movies are really funny. That's like an underrated aspect of his films, because, you know, often they don't have any dialogue mm-hmm. in them, but I think as he's done more of these kind of narrative-driven mm-hmm. films, you can kind of see the humorous aspects, I think, mm-hmm. in his prior work a little bit more. And this film, like I said, deals with, like, super serious, like, historical traumas and issues, but has a very humorous edge to it, especially in the last, like, quarter to, like, last, like, 10, 15 minutes when he moves to this uh, Bolivian architect. And they start shooting in these, like, really, like I said, carnivalesque type interiors and exteriors. Like, he starts to use music in the end, and it's got these strange subtitles, and it's just kind of this really, uh, I don't know, the, the the tone of it is very strange, and it's humorous, but also kind of, like, puts the more traumatic things in into relief, I guess. Yeah, and... It's funny because the movie begins, if I'm remembering right, with a sort of discourse on like whether people need narrative and like the difference between the audience with a normal narrative film versus like avant-garde experimental stuff. And it's interesting. I at first I was struggling to put the connection with what it was doing in the movie. And then I sort of got the general vibe of, well, he's trying to communicate the the like years of rigidity in architecture due to like this adherence to the Bauhaus style versus what is happening in Bolivia where there is more of like an like an experimentation or like an imagination to how places can be designed for purposes beyond like quickly associate them with and just like how that maybe spells out a different form of living or like a the a, like a break from the chain from hundreds of years of architectural style maybe inspired by fascist and imperial right, right right i think you're exactly right actually <laughs> yeah and i mean it's it is funny it is funny when they got to cut to that section in the middle and they're like we wanted to use this writer's actual writing but we didn't get permission so this is the closest thing yeah. to what we can do here so we're just going to describe what the plot is and i yeah I, I did think about like the genus films i did think about like azor last year i guess like argentina is currently sort of a place of fascination of just like the in between latin american and like european influence due to like its history and those specific topics just like seem uh try and untangle right now yeah and i know if uh emmy holtz's movies sound interesting i think just recently the last city and the lobby and maybe one or two others popped up streaming in the u.s on film movement plus who I think maybe just started their building out their streaming service. Uh, so they are 
more available than I think many of his movies have been here. Yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, in I, I the saw streaming that, yeah. era, certainly they've been available, or they're com- becoming available. I think soon, and some uh, of his movies are on, or a lot of them are on DVD. But they're, I think they're for your mm-hmm. European regions. But if you have like a region free player, they're worth tracking down because uh-huh. uh, he's made a, a ton of movies. But uh, mm-hmm. and about all around the world, like he has a movie shot in LA and around the US and also in Europe, obviously in South America now. But they're. Yeah, they're really interesting and thought-provoking films. Yeah, and if you just want to look at cool buildings, <laughs> like a huge dome with like the head of Jesus on front of it, <laughs> listen, they're worst place yeah. to get it. Yeah, no, I mean, what, what you were just saying, Amelia, reminded me of, uh, I've been reading Michael Nyman's book from the 70s on experimental music, but in the introduction to that, I think Brian Eno starts by saying that uh, the best writing about an art movement is usually also an example of that movement, and I think the way in which he's sort of intermingling uh, the architecture and the film that he's doing is a good example of that. Uh, So yeah, another movie that... uh, is playing in Currents that I believe premiered at Karlavi Vari this year, is uh, Jonas Trueba's new film, uh, You Have to Come and See It, which is uh, a pretty short feature. It's like a little over an hour. Uh, that is very much about the, like, sort of just starting to come out of the pandemic uh experience just or just starting to return out into the world with the pandemic i guess uh of like sort of a year ago uh so i I would imagine was done pretty quickly uh but yeah it starts with these two couples on a double date uh that's is like their first time going out to a restaurant and starts with these very long shots of each of the four people's faces uh watching this performance uh and then they talk a little bit and it cuts uh six months forward to one of them has moved out to this uh more suburban area maybe it sounds like maybe an hour outside of barcelona uh, and it was really just sort of those two sort of segments of these two couples interacting. Uh, it also, uh, not to get too much into it, I think, I mean, it, so it, it has a sort of similar quality of like having these sort of academic references while also sort of being a fairly watchable movie. And it is much more traditionally narrative than the Emmett Colts movie is, but it is managing to do both of these things. And then also sort of has a very en vogue sort of intrusion of hybridity towards the end uh, that, that does that in a way that does not feel entirely out of left field, just based on how the rest of the movie is constructed, that I think is another uh, really cool movie that is good it you know i guess we can maybe talk about the program more but this is another movie that is just like cool to see programmed with like maybe a little bit more prominence than uh Troiba's films have mostly been given in terms of american 
audiences. Yeah, he's made a number of films that I've liked, but they don't travel like to the U.S. all that often for whatever reason. This is probably the first film he's had in New York, if I'm not mistaken. But um, in any case, yeah, I, I agree. It's very kind of low-key, beautiful movie. Um, I mean, Ro- Romare-esque, of course. It's just kind of like a lovely people mm-hmm. sitting around talking it outdoors or you know mm-hmm. in domestic spaces uh and talking kind of quasi philosophically or politically um but yeah it has a, i don't know it has a very like a tactile quality to it he the way he shoots and the way the characters kind of interact with the landscape once they go out to madrid to visit the other couple it becomes a very kind of a not a landscape film but it definitely has passages of just like beautiful uh scenery and and does he like you said and kind of uh in a i don't know where the 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 characters and the film kind of uh acknowledges itself a little bit but it, it uh yeah I, I had a good time with it and he he made he, he kind of moves between documentary and fiction quite often his last film mm-hmm. from last year which i quite like um it's called who's stopping us it was much more of a docu-fiction i guess with like young people in spain Mm -hmm. performing music uh is usually a big musical element in his films uh but yeah Mm -hmm. that was another one that was quite long movie it's like three plus hours but um Mm -hmm. yeah i think his other movie that did or the only movie he's made that's kind of made any inroads is called the august virgin which i think was from 2019 which Mm -hmm. i also quite like but that one i think that came out in the u.s and got pretty good reviews but yeah, and I think the the way that he sort of plays with uh, duration, I was very taken with that. You know, he and I, I I was aware that he had made much longer films, but to kind of take this movie that is a feature but a very short feature, and yet be willing to kind of spend a very long time on one thing whether it's the the piano performance at the beginning of the movie or i think there's a a pretty long scene closer to the end where one of the characters is just sort of insisting on reading from this book that uh her and her boyfriend have been reading uh it it just kind of uh frames the sort of attention that you give to movies of different lengths in a cool way yeah i mean i yeah i had heard that uh who's stopping us uh was very good i think it came onto my radar when uh international society of uh cinephiles placed it very highly on their end of the year list last year and it sounded like maybe it was uh a sort of uh end point of a more modular project that had been being released for a little while. So I would like to see that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. His movies like Heinz's are worth tracking down if you can, but yeah, they're not always super hard or easy to see unless you're kind of traveling to festivals. Um, Even this one, like this one I saw in Vienna as well. And I wouldn't have been able, or as as far as I know, I'm Mm -hmm. not, I wouldn't have been able to see it for the rest of the year. So it just Mm kind of depends where you're, Right. Where it plays, where you travel sometimes, especially with some of the smaller films. But I think Trebe is becoming much more of a name in the last couple of years. So hopefully he'll continue to mm-hmm. uh, get work placed at, a, I don't know, bigger bigger festivals, bigger platforms. 
Yeah, and it is, uh, I think both of these are sort of directors who, like, even if you are able to go to film festivals, uh, if you're doing that in North America, these are directors who are much less likely to be programmed at uh, a more regional festival, or, like, even at this point in, say, Toronto, with the sort of diminishing of the Wavelengths program. There's just, like, less room in general, I feel like, in North America for these types of films, which is too bad. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, talking about currents more generally, which is sort of one of the more robust spaces for sort of however you want, you know, they've sort of resisted any sort of specific labeling, especially in, like, the way that the programmers introduce movies at the festival but like whatever art movies or experimental or whatever you want to call it uh which is maybe a, a distinction that's worth digging more into but like anyway what however this section is constituted it does feel like at the, this is a a program that is full of a lot of very successful movies uh and they may be uh, went with a slightly higher quantity of just, like, known directors than they did last year, which I would imagine kind of helped towards that. Like, uh, they opened with uh, Joao Pedro Rodriguez's film, which we've talked about some, and they, they had opened with uh, Sugua Diaries last year, but there's, beyond that was a lot more of, like, uh, I really, I, I've talked about the Bonello film a little bit, which I really love, and, like, it is a strange movie, but it feels, it all, it feels strange even with a movie like that to put Bertrand Bonello in a section like this, that, like, as they have defined it, sort of, the, and I wasn't there this year, so I don't know how they have been talking about it, but I feel like when they do discuss what Currents is, it is more of a, like, it's about, sort of, emerging trends in film and being more of a space for less familiar filmmakers. Uh, and so even someone like Helena Whitman, who, like, it is her second feature, but, like, I feel like people knew about Drift and, like, this new movie has Angel uh, Angeliki Papulia and uh, Denis Levant in it. Like, people were going to see that movie. So it is, I don't know, I mean, I and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that, like, having these slightly higher profile movies mixed in with directors who have had more trouble sort of gaining traction in the United States, but it has just been interesting to see how it has shifted, and I guess this is the third year that it has been, uh, titled current since they did the reorganization when Dennis Lim and Eugene Hernandez took over. So I don't know, like, did anything else in terms of features stick out as a highlight? Um, yeah, but what you were saying before, I think, uh, is worth circling back on briefly. I think, mm -hmm. I think it's sort of like a style or not a style, a sensibility more than like a profile as far as a film goes as far as a director mm -hmm. so like a Benello, this is definitely a smaller film but also more experimental in the kind of approaches it uses and things like that so even in berlin where it premiered it didn't premiere in competition it premiered in encounters which is right. their kind of sidebar program and then you could say the same for mm -hmm. uh i mean helena whitman to some extent but like these are movies that are 
definitely uh, not experimental in like a the way we'll talk about some of the short films, but you know the, their approach to narrative is like unique and singular, and you know they're they're pushing form and things in different ways. So I think that's the kind of sensibility they're trying to cultivate in mm-hmm. currents overall. Um, regardless of like Abbas Fidel is another one, which I'll mm-hmm. and mention. Yeah, sorry, like, I didn't... sort of. He's well. He's uh-huh. definitely well known. Yeah. But uh, I was just gonna say I didn't mean to redirect from my monologue. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, anyway, um, no. The other features that I like, like I just said, the Abbas Fidel film Tales of the Purple House, I think is quite strong. It's a uh, also it's a, been classified as a documentary, but there are large portions of it that are fiction. Um, which he's done in the past and kind of incorporates here even more thoroughly than, than he has in the past. Um, this one was had roots in the pandemic when he's in lockdown in his house with his wife in Lebanon in 2020. And they, um, or he decided to make a film and uh, incorporate her into it. And so it started as them, I think him shooting her painting. She's a painter uh, around their house. And then it, uh, Various things happened, including the bombing of Beirut, uh, that kind of shifted the focus of the film or expanded the focus of the film. And uh, so now it's kind of like this panoramic portrait of Lebanon and various incidents that have transpired there in the last few years. But it also circles back to uh, early 2000s and uh, various things that were happening there when Israel uh, had invaded then. And um, so, yeah, there's... It's very uh, tricky film as far as like its integration of narrative into these uh, fictional, or I mean, uh, into these nonfiction elements. So, yeah, I really love his work. And this is like one of the more beautiful films I've seen in a while. There's these great extended passages of like the Lebanese countryside and great images just around their house, around the purple, around the purple house, as they call it. Um <laughs> And yes, lots of images of their cats, which they have six of. And uh, yeah, it's a very personal film, obviously, but it it gets into a lot of his wife's uh, kind of family history. And because I didn't mention, but Fidel is an Iraqi filmmaker. This is shot in Lebanon where he lives now. So he's kind of, he himself considers himself obviously an outsider making a film about this uh, as well, even though he's made films about other situations in the Middle East, including the the war in Iraq, which he made a very great film about called uh, Homeland Iraq Year Zero. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really good film. And one I've kind of been disappointed not to see all that much, uh, uh, not, not even not positive or negative, just not much coverage of in general, which is kind of weird. It is a little long, I guess, but I'm not quite sure why it hasn't uh, mm-hmm. caught yeah. on the way some of his other films have. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it is one that I just, it, it hasn't played around a ton, and I think, I don't know, it does just seem like the the cons- consistency of what festivals different people are attending has shifted, uh, so, like, I don't know that it, as many American, as much of the American press was at Locarno this year, necessarily, or English-language press, uh, so I wonder if that has something to do with it and then just yeah like new york becomes more of a like there's so many movies that it's harder to fit in the three hour long one yeah that is true it also screened quite late in the festival from what i remember but in any in any case it's worth seeking out 
And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, again, like, there are just, like, a lot of movies that I like that we've talked about to different degrees. Uh, Queens, Queens of the Qing Dynasty, I think, is another one that we've talked about a little bit, but that, uh, another second feature, uh, from Ashley McKenzie that I think, that is a movie that I think feels like it is helped by the sort of framing that being in this section provides. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I remember when Werewolf came out here, and also that being, having been in Encounters at Berlin, because uh, I remember when Werewolf came out hearing pretty good things, uh, but it did just sort of... Uh, it, it didn't get this sort of a- attention that this one did, which it sounds like this one is very different uh, and maybe a little more formally specific than that one is. Yeah, uh, very but much yeah, so. I don't know. I think it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, it, it's a movie that I'm very taken with the way that she is approaching performance. I know that the, uh, the. Uh, of the two main characters, it sounds like one of them is playing a character more based on themselves, and then the Sarah Walker character, who's the lead character, uh, from reading uh, interviews with Mackenzie, it sounds like is based on people that she met in the process of uh, auditioning people uh, for Werewolf, and that Sarah Walker did meet at least one of the people that she wrote the character based off, which is interesting, because it is I think a really excellent performance, but it is not a performance that necessarily feels naturalistic or like a sort of impression of uh, behavior that is familiar. I think part of why I'm so taken with it is that it is a performance that is sort of able to be uh, a little more impressionistic, a little less attached to how we think of a sort of very representational performance uh, and just sort of allows her to like make more uh, specific decisions. I mean, down to like as simple of, I don't know whether I would imagine it might've been in the script and might've come from one of the people that she was writing, that Mackenzie was writing based on, but I just think immediately uh, the very consistent elision of G's at the end of words is, like, such a specific character trait that, uh, or performance trait that, yeah, uh, just doing that, something that specific that provides that, and the way she does it provides that much insight into a character, I feel like you don't see very often. Yeah, the the style of the performances and the style of the film are very unique. And and one of the things I think when I first saw it that didn't uh, that threw me off a little bit because if you've seen Ashley's other films, they're very like uh, neo realist sort of their handheld camera work, very kind of cameras really close up with the characters or kind of gritty. This movie is like super formalist. Camera doesn't move. It's you know it's more about montage and editing than the kind of camera movements and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's, and it's also like a very committed and confident film and like its structure. The first half takes almost, or the entire half takes place in the hospital where star is recovering from a suicide attempt. And then the second half is her outside the hospital, uh, interacting with various people. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it, it does a lot of interesting things with, uh, 
with narrative and with her style that I think is very unique and with performances. Um, but <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, one of my favorites. I interviewed Ashley actually for uh, Filmmaker Magazine. Uh, so she talks about all this stuff and she talks about it very, uh, she, she's an extremely smart and eloquent speaker about uh, her movies and her process and casting these two people who you mentioned uh, who come from various different walks of life and are just unique characters in in uh in cinema so yeah i, I definitely uh think this is one of the the stronger films in in currents and uh like a step it's like simultaneously a step forward i think for ashley but also like uh it's a step forward but it's not like a ex making her style or her process or her uh, vision more like accessible it's, uh, and if anything i think it's more difficult film than what she's made in the past which is sort of uh, impressive considering that she could probably you know lighten up her style is some somehow and make make a very like popular indie film but she's definitely got other things on her mind yeah for sure i mean it's what i mostly appreciate about the film uh, uh it, it just like just like an electricity to it just between the actors performing like there is just like a real chemistry there that is incredibly compelling to watch there are occasional moments when i sort of lose it movie a bit but when especially when the two main characters are together it's just like an incredibly compelling watch of watching these people with two different energies different very different looking different styles just uh complement each other in that way that I think is like very nice it's like works with the narrative very well I, I think it's a it's a great movie yeah and I think in in just like talking with people about it and reading about it, it does seem like I, I've noticed similar patterns of like there are elements of it that are just like very off-putting so I think there are people who just like uh sort of just it loses very quickly and it doesn't get back but i think people who do stick with it i've heard a lot of people just be like oh i was interested in parts of it and taken with it and then have it sit very well with them uh just in thinking about it so yeah i think it is a movie that uh i hope to kind of see more people give a chance and get out uh i don't know if we maybe want to move into talking about a few shorts uh maybe a good one to start out with uh because i believe two years ago we talked about uh nico Pereira's film fauna uh when it was playing currents uh and he now has his new film flora which is uh a companion to that film uh, that uh, operates in some ways as sort of a, a making of, not a, a, a comprehensive document or anything like that, but is addressing elements of the, the making of Fauna, uh, and yeah, taking, you know, kind of taking what I, I think kind of takes as a starting point sort of what his intentions were going into making the film and then just sort of addressing the ways in which uh the production of that film just deepened his understanding 
of those themes that he was trying to address, just sort of, you know, the movie is uh, dealing with uh, the sort of uh, stereotyping of the uh, narcos culture in uh, films portraying it that have been made in Mexico. Uh, the lead actor, who he has worked with a lot, uh, Lázaro Rodríguez, has had very small roles in some of those types of things. Uh, and so then, uh, this new movie, Flora, which is pretty short, uh, just deals with, uh, how that continued to sort of, uh, affect the shooting process of the film. Uh, there's this hotel that a lot of the second half of the movie takes place in that, uh, I think he discovered after they started shooting there was, uh, sort some sort of front or money laundering situation, uh, for organized crime. And then there's this, uh, uh, character who comes into this movie who, uh, uh, is this very, he, he portrays as this very sort of funny bully of just being like, put me in the movie and, uh, how he figured out how to do that, and then talk, discussing the, uh, the sort of control that, uh, the guy is trying to take over that movie, and I think there's an element of sort of trying to take some of that back, but also acknowledge the control that he had over the movie that he was making. Yeah, it's also a favorite of mine. Uh, Pareto's films I like quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Fauna was, is one of my favorite of his films, actually. So I was instantly mm-hmm. interested in this. I actually didn't, even knowing the name of the film, it didn't, mm-hmm. occur, to, it didn't occur to me that this was going to be a uh, companion piece or a uh, continuation of these ideas. So it was interesting to see him revisit these, some of these locations from the feature, uh, but also approach it in a different way where he, you know, is having a... Lazaro Gambino kind of uh, revisit these locations from this TV show and this film. I think two different uh, one, one's a TV show, one's a film. I think, um, but about like you mm-hmm. said about narco culture. So yeah, it's very interesting. A very slippery type film where you, I think you do at one point even see like mm-hmm. it's not a scene from the film, but it's the the same actresses, uh, the actor and the actor kind of in their characters from the feature. And it kind of slips into the new. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's very tricky. I, I would have to rewatch. I haven't seen Fauna in a couple of years, so it'd be interesting to kind of go back and see what is used from there and what's kind of made new or filmed in a different way, even though they're in the same places in a uh-huh. lot of cases. So yeah, it's it's very interesting film. I don't know. I'm assuming he's working on maybe something longer, but he's made a couple of shorts in the last couple of years mm-hmm. that are quite interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I talked to him a little bit about uh, Dear Chantal last year on this podcast. So, yeah, I okay. also will be awaiting uh, what if what longer thing he might have coming up. And, yeah, you're, t- you're, you're right that there is this sort of element of, like, deja vu of, like, what, what of the... Because it's been a while since seeing Fauna, just, like, what of this is, like just things that I've seen before, what's being recontextualized, what is new. Uh, that is just a very sort of discomforting uh, experience, but in a cool way. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Right? Uh, what other 
shorts uh, stood out to you? I know we've both kind of seen just intermittently what we've been able to see in other places. Um, my favorite short that I've seen, or one of my favorites, I think, is the new Simon Liu film. Uh, it's called Devil's Peak. Um, is Simon's a Chinese filmmaker, Chinese-American filmmaker, but he makes pretty much all his films in Hong Kong. Uh, they're generally, I don't know, 10 to 15 minute kind of like a montage films of urban, urban Hong Kong. Uh, he's made a number of them. This movie is a little bit longer. It's 30 minutes and it is exactly the same style and kind of feel of his other films, but it's like much more, uh, I don't know, to me it was somehow more vivid and more, uh, bracing than anything he's made before. Um, there's lots of repeat. I mean, he makes these movies that are, they're extremely non-narrative. They're all just kind of a montage images, uh, very movies based on feel and, uh, kind of space and editing rather than any kind of a story. So yeah, they're kind of these geographical type portrait films. Uh, but this one uses, uses like repeated imagery of fires and some protests and, it's very like uh, sinister, I guess, in some ways. Um, but yeah, as I was watching it, I was just like consistently impressed with how he continues to keep this fascinating. And not only that, keeps it very uh, like upping the ante as it goes for 30 minutes. I kept thinking it's going to run out of gas. Cause some of his films, I do feel kind of spin their wheels a little bit after a while. But this one, for some mm-hmm. some reason, the juxtaposition of the various elements in it, to me, felt like super well uh well considered but also just like uh well applied and just like the vision of this film to me was is probably the most impressive thing i've seen him do so one of my favorites and again it's called uh devil's peak yeah uh which is not one that i've seen you were at the you saw the uh Miriam bonani exhibition that was at tiff right which they had a small part of at new york I did. Um, I saw, uh-huh. I've seen the, so she's, she's been working on this project for a few years. I actually saw like a part of, uh-huh. a part of a, what is it called? A, something on the caps or something. Um, she's been working on this for a number of years. So I saw a portion of it in a, like an installation like four or five years ago and then uh, sort of forgot about it. And then she came back, I think, with this new project, which incorporates three different films, um, including the mm-hmm. one that showed uh, in a cinema in, right. in New York, um, which I find interesting. They're not like my favorite films, but sh- there was a piece in within the exhibition uh, called Two Lizards, which is not part of Currents, I know, but it, right. it was this like pandemic thing mm-hmm. where she's using similar ideas and she uses these animated lizards that do appear in the Caps films uh, where they're kind of uh, going mm-hmm. about their life during the pandemic. It's very, it's almost like a sitcom, like, situational Mm -hmm. comedy where there's like it's almost it was like an eight-part film with like little episodes almost which i found very funny and was my favorite Mm -hmm. thing in the exhibition so that at tiff it had like four components to it and i think the third film Mm -hmm. the third film of the caps films is the one that screened in new york if i'm not mistaken i think so and yeah I, i think that's right i actually did i saw much more of two lizards than i saw of the the caps trilogy because i was just there uh as it was closing uh so yeah i was curious to hear about uh 
what I saw of the Caps trilogy was like very, very abstract uh, in comparison to Two Lizards, which you're right, has that sort of like, maybe even more than a sitcom, just like a web series, uh, like what the type of thing that you would have seen on like Comedy Central's YouTube 10 years ago, uh, which is funny to see something like that. But then it also has this sort of placed in the more uh gallery context but then it does have this sort of uh very strange animation elements and you know uh play you know there's things that she is doing to place that into a different context beyond just throwing it up in a museum uh is there anything else um, uh, yeah the the other shorts that kind of stood out to me that i liked uh there's one called the newest olds by Pablo Mazzolo, which screened mm-hmm. in Toronto as well. Uh, some mm-hmm. yeah. 35 millimeter, uh, I don't know, I guess it's sort of a landscape film, uh, also montage-based. It, it's essentially landscapes and skylines from Detroit and Windsor, Ontario, Canada, uh, juxtaposing these locations. But So it's, it's very audiovisual-based, and it's using, mm-hmm. using different uh, colored transparencies and effects on the on the camera or on the on the film um and yeah it's just very bracing and like a uh, tactile and overwhelming kind of audio visual experience which i really really liked uh one of my favorites in toronto um and then also um the sower of stars Luis patino's new movie um which has been traveling most of the year i think it was originally in berlin uh he always makes very beautiful landscape type films. This is a movie shot in Tokyo of like a bay of the ocean and the skyline at night. And it's layering in like superimposing multiple images of the same skyline over top of each other as like boats and various uh, trams and things like this go by. So the lights in the, in the night sky kind of are crisscrossing as he layers these images over top of each other. Uh, so it becomes this very uh, kind of dense visual uh, tapestry, I guess. And then he also uses, uh, from what I remember, voice recordings of various people kind of commenting on, uh, I guess, life and things going on uh, in Tokyo currently. Yeah, uh, actually going back for a second to uh, the newest olds, I think it's uh, Michael Susinski has written some recently about kind of some disappointment and like, more like essayistic films taking over this sort of short experimental space and so i do think something like that that is so intensely uh audiovisual uh which i know was initially i think they i think tip was hoping to screen it on a print and then wasn't able to uh physically receive it in time but yeah something like that is uh, cool to see mixed in, and, like, there is, I, I do think more of what I saw this year, not that I saw a huge amount, or, or a, a large, I didn't see a, a particularly large percentage of, uh, the shorts programs, but it did feel like more of it was operating on that sort of uh, more open to abstraction, less tied to narrative or to text than was my impression of the program last year. Yeah, this is something me and Michael have <laughs> lamented to each other uh, <laughs> privately and mm-hmm. in person uh, a number of times in recent <laughs> years. Uh, 
I haven't seen the entirety of the program, so I'm not sure if it's all like this. But yeah, my yeah. the ones I've seen and my favorites are certainly the one that op- the ones that operate more in this kind of a I don't know you would call it like a visionary mode in like the traditional avant garde sense uh, rather than what's become the trend recently, which is more essayistic. Uh, I don't know information based films, which have their place and are interesting. Uh, but um, but it was becoming I don't know why but currents seem to really take a special interest in these films I feel like recently and so I don't know uh, if this year is diversified it at all uh, any differently but could just be what's available to show yeah. I'm not sure but uh, uh-huh. a lot of these filmmakers uh, a lot of my favorite films this year are are in this more uh, mm-hmm. a- abstract uh, mode that you would kind mm-hmm. of usually or traditionally consider kind of avant-garde cinema yeah yeah uh i'm actually curious mm. then oh no I, i'd like to say that yeah i saw new results also and uh-huh. i think it's good i it, it's always like nice to get i like watching movies about architecture and especially like one that like manages to toe the line between like almost like a real real footage what looks like blueprints and like mash it all together in almost an apocalyptic context so I would, I did also really like that more. Uh, I may be curious then in that context, what you made of uh, Urban Solutions, uh, which is another movie that I like that I think manages to kind of toe the line of those two modes in an interesting way. Uh, it's relatively long for one of these shorts. I think it's like a half hour, but I think it does, it fits in enough of like things that are just arresting visually uh along with sort of informational elements uh you know kind of it uh that that i think it is both doing the sort of informational thing in a more interesting way than a lot of these movies do and also melding with more of a visionary approach right um I'm embarrassed to say, but I do not remember anything about Urban Solutions, which I've seen, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize I've seen it. So okay. when I went to Vienna, actually, I noticed uh-huh. it was in the program, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. It sounds interesting, and it's playing in Currents, too. So I put it in my schedule, and then I noticed on Letterboxd that I had watched it during Rotterdam, and I like have zero remembrance of it other than it being 30 minutes. And uh-huh. I, do remember, well, I do remember it being sort of information-based, sure. but I don't remember anything about it. So I can't really yeah. comment on it, but... Yeah, no, I mean, then that's that's fine. And that is, like, Rotterdam was such a blur this year <laughs> uh, because it was uh, hopefully the last of the purely digital festivals. Yeah, that, could, that um, honestly could yeah, be part yes, of it, I think. To be uh... more, a little more specific about it, then it's this sort of uh, treatment on just sort of uh, colonialism uh, in Brazil and this sort of... Uh, uh, just like class relations of uh uh that i don't know it, it does enough interesting i think uh i don't know i mean maybe the most th- there's enough visual motifs i mean i think one of the interesting things is that it starts out with uh the just the sort of uh quality of the image i think is something that is more commonly seen with the 
uh, more sort of nature footage that the first maybe couple minutes of the film is composed of, and then it transitions into uh, shooting urban footage with, like, you know, people in it without changing that visual language. Uh, and then there's also sort of more uh, obvious, less novel stuff, like uh, recreation of paintings that I've certainly seen in other movies, but that is nonetheless striking. Yeah, I vaguely rings a bell, but I'm going to have to uh, maybe re- <laughs> revisit it, clearly. But yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely mm-hmm. I've heard other people yeah say it's uh say it's worthwhile so who knows i think you're right about the rotterdam thing it's mm-hmm. all a blur especially with the shorts there like i i try because you have access to it i'll watch them all basically but then you're when you do that you watch like mm-hmm. 60 shorts and then it becomes a blur yeah yeah maybe a good thing uh to end on unless there's anything specific you want to talk about before we get to what you're doing at Acropolis would be uh the new Ben Russell film then uh Against Time which like that is a very uh image and sound based movie uh it's uh uh most of it is is kind of a a flicker film sort of uh but i was found myself thinking uh at multiple times uh during the movie about albert sarah and less about sarah's films but more just the way he talks about film there's a couple of things uh that he's said uh that struck that came into my head during the film. I think early on I was thinking about something that was maybe in the press notes for Pacifiction about uh, just uh, w- one of his sort of main projects in filmmaking is just, well, I want to put stuff on film that I haven't seen on film before. And so that came in. The first shot of the movie is uh, footage of fireworks that's been reversed, which, like, I would have to imagine someone has had the idea to do that before, uh, but it is not something that I have seen in a film. So that came up, and then as the film went on, I think what Sarah had been saying during the... Um, the His introduction to Verkmeister Harmonies uh, when it played at Toronto, where he was saying that, you know, there's directors that... Uh, more often in Hollywood, are sort of very enamored of ha- figuring out interesting ways for the camera to move, but they're not actually uh, shooting anything interesting. And that his he views his process as more based in, well, I'm just going to put the camera down and make something interesting happen in front of it. And then his, his point was that Bellatar is one of the few people who's able to do both of those things and you know Russell is not uh, necessarily specifically interested in camera movement here but there is an element of just like he is shooting very interesting things and he is shooting and editing them in interesting ways uh you know just like the fireworks at the beginning there's uh a scene uh, in, like, a club or some sort of performance space that's just, like, a DJ with a 
suit that's too tall for him so you can't see his head and then the later stuff with the uh the way that he juxtaposes a very long uh dissolve and then uses that to move into the flicker stuff uh is it's just all like very cool like it's just like i will just I think, you know, I'll give a lot of leeway to a movie and just like, oh, sure, a baby is just interesting to look at for a while. Anyway, no, I was saying this is my favorite uh, one of Ben's films in a number of years, I think. Um, it, it it sort of like reminded me or like had a feeling of one of his older films, which I first fell in love with like 10 years ago, uh, which used some of these same techniques, the reversals and things like this. Um but uh, yeah, just had that very uh, that audio visual thing that he does so well. Like very few filmmakers use music. Mm-hmm. Like you, you were mentioning the scene with the DJ. Like these uh-huh. scenes are very uh, like quintessential Ben Russell, which I which I always love. But this film, yeah, felt uh, newly vibrant. Uh, even like his best of his recent films, uh, like Good Luck feature, which I really love. I think it's a great film, but it's very like very different than this. Um, so yeah, I I don't know if it maybe has something. To, I know it's a tribute to uh, Jonathan Schwartz who passed away a few years ago. So I don't know if that had any. I mean, I, mm. I don't think it had an influence on the style per se, but uh, it seems to have maybe uh, reinvigorated mm-hmm. uh, the style a little bit because his recent shorts mm. haven't totally blown me away. But I think this one is uh, strong, uh-huh. strong again. So yeah, it was great to yeah great to see it, and it is just like one of the. Uh, I mean, this entire program that I think it's showing in in New York is like all the, all the very uh, kinetic and overwhelming, uh, like experience type mm-hmm. films. Yeah, and it is just sort of like, I'm much more likely to like give. Not that this movie requires leeway, but like I'm much more likely to give a lot of leeway to like a flicker film just because like that is going to provide me with a specific uh sensory experience uh that it is sort of you know like i saw uh here in dc the national gallery of art screened uh anthologies restoration of uh paul sheritz's razor blades and that was just an experience and which is also flickery and has some you know not any particular similarities but it is just like it would be nice to see more things like that screening theatrically yeah for sure but yeah that's what i feel like his early films ben's films were really doing that i mean he was really known as using those kind of uh overwhelming sensory effects early on and i mean you can't do that your whole career obviously so he has done other interesting things too but this feels like a kind of re-engaging that mode a little bit which i which i really like so cool uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to get to before uh, I ask you a little about uh, Acropolis? Uh, no, as far as currents, those are most of my favorites. I mean, cool. the program is pretty strong overall, I think. Um, you know, I, I think I've seen all but mm-hmm. one of the one of the features and there's nothing really in the program that mm-hmm. I don't think is interesting or worth uh, ta- mm-hmm. taking a chance on. But yeah, it's a, it's a strong program again this year. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Then I don't know, maybe to start out uh, Framing Acropolis, which is the uh, screening series you've been doing uh, for the past, what, five or six years. Uh, I mean, I mean, what was the just sort of 
I, I can maybe imagine, but what was the sort of impetus for getting that started in Los Angeles, which which is, I think, a, a, pro, a screening series that brings the types of films that you are seeing in currents or wavelengths to Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, that was the idea. It was basically like... I'm seeing all these mm-hmm. these great movies in uh, Toronto and uh, uh-huh. not New York, but like the kind of movies I play in New York or whatever festivals I was going to Berlin uh-huh. and like then they would never show up in LA or, mm-hmm. or if they did, they were like play, you know, way off in the Valley or somewhere just far, like and no one knew that they were screening. They had no advertisement, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the original impetus was, yeah, just show, uh, and this is still the same idea. We just show movies that otherwise would not show in Los Angeles. So those tend to be new films. Occasionally we'll do old, older films, but the idea is to mm-hmm. kind of uh, screen these important, generally features, but we do shorts programs too. Um, just films or filmmakers that otherwise aren't screening here. They could be like super obscure, like international, you know, European or East Asian filmmakers all the way to like a uh, fairly well-known like a tour people like Hong Sang Soo who were showing like in a week, mm-hmm. his new film, which otherwise would not screen, which is kind of ridiculous. So yeah, it, it ranges. It just depends on uh, what, what is screening, what's available. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we do about one or two screenings per month and uh, yeah, it's been mm-hmm. going uh, six and a half years, I think at this point. So, and we have a festival every year uh, called Locarno in Los Angeles, which is a, collaboration with the Locarno Film Festival, which we started five years ago, or maybe like six years ago. Uh, There's been five editions. We skipped one year for COVID, but we curate a selection of highlights from every edition of Locarno. uh, And that happens in around March every year. So we're, you know, Locarno just happened in August. So we're now planning for this upcoming spring edition of that. Um, And that's our like one big event of the year. Occasionally we do other smaller, uh, collaborations we've done them with the new york film festival in the past actually we did a projections program which is what currents used to be called before so uh we we do like one-off uh kind of events like that but uh yeah in general we just show monthly screenings of features and shorts that otherwise wouldn't be available to people out in la so I, I think maybe one of the big differences between uh, what you're doing and what does happen uh, in a lot of other cities is that there is less centralization in terms of institution. There's also, other than the Locarno in Los Angeles, less of a tie to the sort of schedule of a festival. Uh, and I, I don't know how much of that was out of uh what opportunities there is but how has that sort of affected uh just the way that you curate um i think i got all that um well i don't know it depends the, the there aren't any other there's only one big festival in la right now it's called afi fest which i'm sure everyone's heard of mm-hmm. but it's uh been drastically reduced in the last couple of years it's only four and a half days now i think which is as long as Locarno in Los Angeles, but they show like triple the films. But um, mm-hmm. in any case, there are one like international showcase a year. There used to be another festival called the uh, LA Film Festival, which is no longer around. So there's not really a huge outlet for these types of films. And then also the institutions in LA, which could be, you know, now the Academy Museum, but there's also 
UCLA Film and Television Archive. There's uh, multiple other kind of bigger organizations that don't take an interest necessarily in uh, art cinema, I guess. Um, they show new films and here and there, but they generally, those institutions especially show mostly older films. So it's just like this weird uh, irony in LA where you on the one hand, you think every movie is available because every movie's made there almost. And you uh -huh. think like all these, all these cinematic opportunities. But on the other hand, there's very like limited opportunities for uh, kind of the art cinema uh, output in any given year. So yeah, that's just the void that Acropolis has been trying to fill. And there's more, I mean, we, we could show more movies if we had more opportunities and money and then someone else could come mm -hmm. along and show a different like where we show a very specific type of movie some other organization could come and mm -hmm. fill another void because there are other types of films that don't show in la mm -hmm. too but for me and what i was interested in or still am interested in these films are very uh, or occasionally hard to come by in los angeles so uh yeah that's what we we try and help bring uh so i i know you mentioned that you generally focus more on features but do uh, play some shorts. How do you sort of approach that challenge of programming shorts, uh, especially given I think like people are maybe a little more likely at a festival. You know, I I think the the diehard people who are interested are going to see them no matter what. But just like sort of people coming in at a festival are more likely to be like, well, I'm here. I'll go see these shorts that fit in. I would imagine it is less common that someone's going to say, oh, I'll take time just out of my daily life to go see a program of shorts. Yeah, hopefully we've cultivated a audience or an interest, however, mm -hmm. however small, but dedicated enough to take a chance on mm -hmm. stuff that they don't know. Um, in general, like let's say we do two or three shorts programs a year, which might actually be high. I think we've done two, maybe two this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Usually I'll think of a filmmaker that either hasn't had his his or her films shown in L.A. or in a lot of cases, or most cases, especially with these kind of films, they they come to L.A. for whatever reason. They're working here. They have opportunity to do something. And either I'll get in touch or they get in touch. And we uh, try and organize something while they're in town. Because especially for the shorts and experimental shorts, like it's better... I think better to have the, mm -hmm. the artists there to talk about them and contextualize uh -huh. the films and, you know, have that kind of one-on-one -on -one interaction with people. So I, I think the most recent one we did with, was with uh, Andrew Norman Wilson, uh, who was coming into LA. Uh -huh. So we, we decided to line something up, but we've done that with multiple people who come through LA. And then also if there's like a filmmaker, like I think we did Michael Robinson a couple years ago, like he lives in LA, but He's ne he never had a program mm -hmm. of his films in Los Angeles, even though some have screened here and there. Um, so we we kind of focus on that. In those cases, those other those are also like new or working filmmakers. Um, there's an organization called LA Film Forum that specializes in like older, like the classics sort of of experimental film, and it's a central organization. But um, they don't show as many new films. So even even in the case of experimental films, we try and show kind of newer work that's been traveling. Uh, mm -hmm. And there is an audience for that, ironically, in some in small, but uh, with CalArts out in, in LA, you know, there's a big kind of mm. film art uh, community um, with a lot of obviously the 
kind of older figureheads still living and in some cases working out there and teaching. So there, we do have that kind of a dimension to our cinephile landscape. Um, so yeah, that's basically how we approach it. Um, I guess this is just like a sort of fundamental question that you would ask anybody doing any sort of work programming, but I am curious with a program specific of yours of just like, how much work do you think goes into just like acquiring these movies to be able to show them and just like having a space to show them versus like making an effort in contextualizing them with like bringing in like bringing in or like maybe providing additional material or even programming these movies in a way that make them make sense with one another. Um, I just caught the very beginning and very end of it. You were saying, uh, are you talking about in the case of like a short film program that has different uh, filmmakers involved? I, in any context, it's like, are you, do you see yourself as like concerned with trying to provide people with, a general idea of oh, what the yeah, modern yeah. experimental film landscape looks like, or just like I see something good. Yeah, yeah. I want I to show that. Sorry, I thought you were talking about like if within one program, but yeah, in general, yeah, I would say. I mean, I hope it gives people some idea of what's going on in modern cinema on the you know in general. But on the other hand, it is just my uh, <laughs> uh, taste or my selection, so I'm as. Uh, you know, I have my proclivities as much as anybody. So it's not a completely holistic vision of <laughs> contemporary cinema, but I think it is a good representation of like a certain kind of art cinema for sure. Um, and we actually have been expanding as far as like, uh, we've had, I've been having some other people helping with the programming and things like that recently too. So hopefully maybe it is a kind of expanding and diversifying a little bit, but um you know, yeah, in general, it does obviously reflect my uh, tastes and what I think should be shown. But then it's also dictated at the same time by what's what hasn't shown in L.A. So some people are, you know, I've had people say like, oh, you don't show mm-hmm. enough whatever. You, it could be women filmmakers or people of color or this and that. But if certain things have to be not showing in L.A. So, I'm, you know, it's dictated by what's showing it in lot like that's the first kind of criterion mm-hmm. is like oh it hasn't shown here so then we'll go from there so if it's shown here then i usually don't go for it. there's very few occasions where uh we will, we will show something that's already screened in la and that's usually when we can do some kind of like event with the filmmaker there or something um but that's the same thing with locarno in los angeles it's like if if AFI Fest shows a film from Locarno, because they happen in November, like we won't show it at Locarno in LA in, in most cases. So it's kind of like curating a selection of films from a festival that if it then hasn't screened in Los Angeles. So it kind of gets whittled down. So sometimes the curation is coming from a smaller pool than just like, oh, I can show whatever I want, which in that case would probably be a little a little more kind of wide ranging. But uh, in general, it obviously fo- follows just what I what I like. We started getting into this a little bit earlier, uh, but how important to you is the sort of uh, linguistic definition of the types of movies that you're showing, both on a sort of uh, inward facing how you are looking at the movies and then on an outward facing how it projects to an audience um 
I mean, that's important, I think, for sure. Um, I think at the end of the day, the day it usually is what affects me. Um, of course, I think about this. I'm, I'm curious and interested and hope the audience feels similarly. Um, there are some movies that, of course, aren't going to be for everybody or going to appeal to different people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a tricky thing to think about or, or try and figure out what uh, might uh, or how the audience might react. But I think in most cases, uh, trusting your instinct or your uh, just your your just being honest with like what you like, hopefully will translate into like experiences that people like. Like I can look at what we've shown over the last six years and be pretty proud of it. Like I'm not, there's nothing more or less of what we've shown that I wouldn't stand behind now. Uh, I think in every case, it's like something that needs to be shown, discussed, talked about. Uh, yeah. And there, and there are various reasons for why they need to be shown or discussed. Sometimes, like I said, it could be just distribution things. Sometimes it's a filmmaker who's been unfairly overlooked. Um, so yeah, there's different kind of a rationale behind each, each film. Um, or like I said, it could be Hong and he needs no, uh, further promotion, but like if the film doesn't show in LA, that's like a crime <laughs> against cinema. So like we have to show it and, <laughs> and his films tend to do very well for us. So there's multiple benefits all around. So we, I mean, we, we've shown, I think the LA premiere of like four or five of his films. So it's nothing new, but like it ranges from that. We showed like Nocturama, for example, which wouldn't have shown in LA and had a huge audience, but like, these are just like obvious, huge examples, but in general, obviously we kind of stick to even more obscure things. Yeah. And how important do you think like filmmaker participation and what you're doing at a cop at Acropolis is like, would you like to have the filmmaker present for like everything you're yeah. showing like, <laughs> or are there certain contexts in which you are just like, well, I have the movie and this is just what I want to uh, show. Well, it's a very, yeah, at the very least, of course, uh, the film is the main attraction, but I, if we could have every filmmaker there, that'd be great. In some cases though, there's not even like a realistic possibility. Like we're not going to get Hong, but uh, for most of the smaller films, like if I, if they're not there, uh, I try and arrange a, maybe like a video introduction or some kind of thing where they're, they can discuss the film. So we, we just did that with uh, Denny Cote's film, uh, social hygiene. We just showed a few months ago and, We've done that many, many, many times. Uh, so yeah, it's either that or if the filmmaker is coming to town, then I we, sometimes we'll wait and do something while they're while they're going to be there because Acropolis doesn't have the money in general to bring anyone out. We do for Locarno in Los Angeles, which is has sponsors and some uh, kind of cultural uh, funding, uh, not that much, but enough to like uh, well host the event and then hopefully bring out like three or four or five of the filmmakers. Um, so yeah, it it depends. But yeah, in general, obviously, I would love to have the filmmakers there uh, or just have them involved in some way because it does add a little something, especially with some of the films we're showing. I think it's always good to have someone there to offer context other than just me or whoever is introducing the film. And I guess like, I guess like if I would have to have a last question, would it would be just like, we think the Bennett's are to the way that... Uh, Acropolis works versus like if somebody just gave you a subject to 
just like here's a Los Angeles art film festival like do you think there are advantages to having like a place like that exists year round yeah I mean that sounds like a film festival which I think the LA I think LA does need another one uh which I think could work in the in the summer uh which is when LA Film Fest used to happen which always worked really really well to me because you could show the films from early in the year in the summer which is what LA Film Fest did and then AFI sort of took the the films from later in the year and it was a great way especially at that point when I wasn't traveling to film festivals that's how I would see stuff from you know Berlin and uh Locarno and stuff like that so yeah uh but yeah if someone uh let me do something for like a full week I would probably try and turn it into some kind of festival because even like something like AFI mm-hmm. they can't show the program actually this year is quite strong I think but I can make another adjacent program the next week with what's available out there and have just as good of a festival, I think. So there, there are plenty of uh, yeah. films out there. There's less kind of venues and opportunity to do that, though, I think. Yeah, no, that that is sort of the way that sort of... Su- I, I like the way that that sort of summer-spring festival is able to function of, like, there is stuff from earlier than the year, but then there's also stuff that just was missed by whatever was in the fall that for whatever reason either just the person who was programming the people who were programming that festival in the fall didn't like it or it uh, was programmed in some way that led to it gaining some amount of attention over the intervening months yeah totally and we like la doesn't really have like like new york has these kind of smaller programs throughout the year right. they're, they're not really referred to normally as festivals but they sort of are or they're, they're at least the level of like mm-hmm. what we're doing with yeah. carno in la they're like four or five day showcases yeah. of films from yeah with certain themes or certain right. regions you know la has a couple we have like a german one and things mm-hmm. like that but they're not like curated mm-hmm. in a way that's interesting they kind of just take take uh, uh whatever's the new kind of german film or the new italian film rather than it being uh, curated in any way. So I think LA does need that um, in some way, which hopefully that happens. Um, if someone wants to give me money, I'll do it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, great. I think, uh, I think that's maybe good then. We can move into uh, special presentations and talk about uh, anything that has activated us lately i can start uh which is that i actually just read uh george saunders's new collection of short stories uh which is i guess i haven't read him since lincoln and the bardo came out uh but relatively shortly before that i think had gone through most of his short stories and that it is there are a lot of his sort of just things that he's returning back to he's there there are amusement parky stories uh there's movies about like people stuck in a hellscape of performance there's some of the uh shifting perspective stuff that he's done before uh but it feels a little more focused to me even though i think it was mostly i, th- I think that's more just an effect of him having focused himself on themes rather than focus focusing this uh, collection because I think it is just it, he's been working on it since the last one came out uh, in a way that I was very taken with. I think it's a, a trickier 
so, uh, just trickier thematically and in terms of the prose than a lot of his past stuff has been. I think figuring out there, there's a lot of stories in there where it's just because of the perspective that he's taking in his writing, it's less obvious than it might have been in the past what he's trying to communicate. Uh, but it, it, it's very exciting. It, I think it, I got about halfway uh, for the first little bit. I was like, I'm not sure if I like this quite as much as what he's written in the past, but I think it kind of clicked at that point. Uh, and I think it's a really exciting new chapter for him that I we might be figuring out a way to talk about a little bit more uh, on this podcast uh, and contextualize it around other stuff. Uh, so yeah, do either of you have anything um let's see something that comes to mind i started reading it and i had to i was traveling so i put it down but i'm planning on picking it up soon uh again i've read about half of it is the after image reader which is like a collection of film criticism from a magazine a british magazine called after image which is was produced in the 60s and 70s um, I think they only made 13 issues. Uh, it was, I think originally conceptualized as like a biannual thing or like a maybe one issue a year or something. Uh, then there were money issues and editor issues and it was sort of spread out over the course of like 15 years or something. Um, but it's been kind of, I don't know, or reprinted or collated uh, by the Visible Press, which is a press that's put out books by Gregor, or not by Gregor Markopoulos, but like a Gregor Markopoulos collection. They put out Tom Anderson's Slow Writing a few years ago. So they always deal with film criticism, usually in some way. Um, mm -hmm. So this is just like these really amazing vintage long essays and articles about like 70s Godard and like uh, Hollis Frampton uh, so it leans very, it leans on the more mm -hmm. experimental side, though there, there are like amazing texts mm -hmm. by like, uh, or, or, or one text who like kind of takes down Citizen Kane and takes down like these very, very like <laughs> enshrined films and like in a very like convincing and interesting way. Um, so yeah, I, I would mm -hmm. say that is worth checking out. It's called the after image reader and, uh, yeah, there are, it's, I've been reading some reviews of it. It's been kind of circulating finally, but, uh. I had no uh, prior familiarity with After Image, so it's kind of cool to catch up with all of it in one. Mm -hmm. there, there's been some big, uh, I think like Jonathan Rosenbaum wrote a piece for them at one point at the end of their the run. Mm -hmm. So it had some, most of the mm -hmm. most of the writers are, you probably have heard of them or are aware of them in some way. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Cool. Emilio? Uh, I've sort of been busy this week so i don't i don't even mm. know if i've seen anything this week i guess uh my plug this week is gonna be my application essay for grad school <laughs> that i hope gets me into grad school well that's great that's important uh and yeah <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Jordan, obviously, uh, if you're in L.A., people should go to screenings at Acropolis. Uh, but is there anything else uh, that you want to plug? Uh, well, yeah, November 7th and 8th, we have the Novelist film. Um, and then hopefully you're announcing something mm -hmm. for December soon. Uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. I don't know. I've 
most uh, maybe to tie it back into currents i i did write about or interview many not many but three or four of the filmmakers from the current section including ashley mckenzie like i mentioned about queens of the mm-hmm. Qing dynasty uh helena whitman for human flowers of flesh that's in the new cinemascope mm-hmm. uh Gio Pedro Rodriguez for Film Comment. Um, that's for Will of the Wisp, his new feature. And, oh, and I was Fidel for the movie we were talking about, Tales of the Purple House. That's also Film Comment. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like four mm-hmm. films. And then I've covered a lot of the films that are in New York too, just at other festivals. But yeah, those are, that's most of my recent writing has been those interviews that have been accumulating over the months. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, you can do so at Can I Kick It. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd or Instagram, you can do it at C-I-K-I Pod. If you'd like to donate any money to us, you can do so at coffee.com slash can I, K-O dash F-I dot com slash C-A-N-N-E-S-I. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to email us in, you can do that at can I kick it pod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow any of us on Twitter... Andy is at Andy T. Germ. I'm at Cladley. Emilio is I'm Laugh Alone. And Jesse is JCP Glake Weber with two Bs. And I will now release our audience. Bye-bye.